Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Claudette Leclerc has been at the helm of the Manitoba Museum for the last 23 years. As Executive Director and CEO, Claudette has overseen the growth, expansion, and immense success of the Manitoba Museum, and she continues to lead her team through the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm so very proud of how my colleagues have um, pivoted and are doing their absolute best to work through this, um, uh, recognizing it's a challenge. Um, We don't know all the answers, but again, it's that one day at a time. Let's just work through it together uh, based on what information we have now. And when we get new information, we'll pivot again. I sat down with Claudette Leclerc through a video chat to talk about her incredible career, her devotion to arts and culture here in Winnipeg, and the plan for reopening the museum in the post-COVID era. Welcome, Claudette Leclerc, to the Because and Effect podcast. Thank you for being on the show. It's great to see you. Thank you, Nolan. It's nice to be here. It's great to see you through, you know, the, the magic of technology here on the Zoom call. How have you been adjusting to this new world of kind of, you know, interacting with your board and your staff and stuff via Zoom instead of in person? Yeah, it's uh, it's been um, an awful lot of screen time, an awful lot of phone calls, um, but, uh, you know, uh, just try and take one day at a time. That's, you know, <laughs> That's I, I do, I do, I'm a person that really uh, uh, appreciates uh, the full communication, which means the body language as well, you know, mm-hmm. um, face-to-face, uh, but I don't, I mean, when I just say face-to-face, not just us as bubbleheads, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I'm in the you same know? boat. Yeah, it's been weird kind of doing podcasts and it, it's not quite the same. It's still, it's better than I thought it was going to be doing it on over Zoom, but it's not as, as nice as, you know, when we can sit across the table at an event and, and really talk to each other and stuff. But before we get into the whole podcast thing, I need to congratulate you on your retirement you as the executive director and ceo of the manitoba museum for 23 20 yeah yeah it'll be 24 by the time i retire uh, march 2021 thank you well, con- congratulations much. that's huge so can you I'll, I'll give you an easy an easy question first just sum up the last 23 years for us in a, in a nice package oh <laughs> wow you know um the best I can describe has been incredibly enriching to me personally and professionally. Um, I, I feel I feel absolutely honored to have been provided with this opportunity, and uh, um, it's while it's also incredibly unfortunate that my my last year here is uh, leading the organization through the the uh, pandemic crisis. Um, that said. Um, I think that I've gotten a lot of feedback from the board and, and from staff that uh, if they're really glad it's me and not the new CEO, because at least I, I really know the organization and I, I really know and respect the individual. Well, no kidding. Yeah, I was definitely going to say there's no one better to be at the helm for a pandemic for sure. Have you been yeah. kind of, have you been reflecting on your career at all in the last, like, I'm sure you've done a few interviews and stuff, but have, have you been looking back on the last 23 years and any, is there any memories or, or accomplishments or achievements that you've kind of been like, oh, that, I'm glad I did that or you know, glad that happened? Well, I mean, I, I haven't really paused much because I, you know, I'm, um, I'm, I, I don't have so much as a, a toenail into retirement yet. I, no time for reflection. Um, uh, very much, uh, I'm living in the moment and trying to lead this organization um, into the future and ensuring that I'm leading it now um, as though I am going to be here April 1st, 2021. So, especially uh, when you're when you're leading an organization through a crisis, I'm, I'm trying to be very sensitive to 
the fact of I want to leave the organization where I'd want it to be picking it up. Um, so uh, reflection, um, I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but you're asking me, um, you know, oh, it, it the, the list is long. Um, you know, I've had the ability to, I've had the opportunity to be part of two major capital renewal projects here at the museum. Um, uh, like all of my, my other cultural jobs, I've, I've been a cultural executive director for 38 years. People can do the math now. Um, so, you know, through three major, you know, through three cultural organizations. And I think uh, the, uh, for me, um, it's always, well, you can talk about the huge achievements in the, the, the building of Alloway Hall here, talking to the Winnipeg Foundation, Alloway Hall, the expansion of Alloway Hall. But, you know, there were so many sort of big capital things that we have done. Um, but the reality is, is that it's that day-to-day -day, um, connection to um, the staff, our volunteers, um, the people who um, interact with the Mountain Museum, who um, support us in our research collecting. Um, it's that day-to-day -day stuff. I think that um, if when I reflect back, I'm going to say that's what really it was the accumulation of all of those little touch points all the way through those three years to which um, most enriched. You know, you can always say, "Oh, look what I did! This big thing." But it's it's those all those little moments I think that will probably at the end of the day be the most meaningful to me. It's the people, it's the connections, right? It's the friends yeah. you've made along the way. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, you've been, you know, like you said, doing a lot of cultural work as CEO or executive director. I, I read Folklorama you were the head of at one point, which is pretty cool. So what, what are you going to miss the most about the work side of things and, 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 and the creation of, of a lot of these events and of, of these touchstone things that Winnipeggers have grown to love and, and celebrate over all these years? Hmm. Um, well, I guess it, it, again, it just comes down to the people. It's that, it's that people interaction. Um, it's, uh, I have to say that through, um, um, I mean, I, I started the Children's Festival as executive director when I was 21. Um, obviously really wet behind the ears um, and, and then and worked there for six years, Oparama for eight and executive, executive director and now here. Um, uh, that it's the people interaction and the constant learning. Like, I can tell you that there is not a day that I don't, I don't go home and I reflect on my day and I think, huh, one, I never thought that I'd be faced with that challenge. Two, um, I didn't necessarily know how to overcome that challenge, but I have staff or volunteer resources or mentors or professional um, colleagues um, who um, are always there to sort of, um, to assist, provide guidance, to provide advice. Um, so yeah, it's, um, that's, that's what I'll miss. It's the, it's the learning, it's the overcoming challenges, it's the, um, the networking to try to figure out how to how to get through uh, challenges. Um, yeah, yeah, the people comes back what, down to the people for sure. <laughs> so what what what's what's it like networking in networking specifically in Winnipeg? Do you think what what, what makes Winnipeg special and what 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 oh. about Winnipeg has kept you sort of professionally here for the last thirty years? Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you, Manitoba is incredible incredibly special, um, especially as it relates to the um, arts and cultural um, sector. 
um, that I could, I, I'm saying especially because that's where I, I speak from um, uh, and what I know. Um, but what I can tell you is that my colleagues um, that lead up other arts and cultural organizations, um, we, I, I have always, always, doesn't matter from when I was in my 20s to where I am now, not in my 20s, um, um, there's always been at an executive director level, but I see it also happening, and I've encouraged it along the way um, with uh, you know, the directors of finance, the, the fundraising people, the marketing people, we network and we network very generously with one another. We partner with one another. We offer advice and support to one another. So like right now, as trying to lead uh, arts and cultural organizations through this, um, you know, pandemic crisis, um, I'm on um, uh, a bi-weekly Zoom call um, uh, with, uh, you know, the major uh, cultural executive directors in Manitoba, and we are there to support one another. And there's been times where we wish we could have, um, you know, handed the Kleenex. We, we've cried, we've laughed, we've supported, we've advised. Um, and in between those calls, we're there for one another. So I would say it's, um, it's an incredibly supportive community. Um, uh, they, sure, there are, there are areas to which we may be competitive, but that's not what drives us. Uh, what drives us is support for one another um, and quite frankly, the, the love of, of arts and culture in Manitoba and white Saskatchewan. So on these calls, what, what's the general sense of people who are running these organizations? Like, is there, are we now into a point of optimism? Obviously the last kind of eight or nine weeks has been very uh, questionable as far as we don't know a lot, but what, what's the general sense of when you go on these meetings? Are people starting to have a little sense, a little bit more optimism? I think that by and large, we tend to be a fairly, you know, cup half full group. Um, um, and so always trying to find some silver linings in anything. But the reality is, is that we're still very much operating as an industry um, in, a, in a major field of unknown. Um, because, um, and, and I feel especially for our performing arts, my performing arts colleagues, because, you know, their seasons are done for the year, but everyone's talking about a second wave of COVID and um, in the fall. So do they launch the season in the fall? Do they wait to, you know, early 2021? Um, I, I here in the museum, we're looking to reopen. Um, we're doing the planning right now for reopening the museum. We're gonna go slowly and methodically and, um, and thoughtfully um uh starting with weekends in june um and uh but i i fear that i'll i'll just be starting to get things up and then boom i'm gonna have to shut things down so um i think that what we're trying to do the the tenor in our conversations has been very much about um sharing information uh being supportive of one another trying to um assist with looking at options and problem solving um, but um, are we all looking optimistically? I mean, we're looking optimistically in terms of we are determined to make sure that we survive and that our organization, you know, that our organizations survive. But um, how we get there and what we look like, I think we've all been, we've all accepted um, that our paths may be different and that we uh, may all look very different in the end as a result of all of this. You seem like a pragmatist to me when it you just have to kind of whatever it takes to get it done we're just going to get it done is that accurate oh yeah, yeah <laughs> no absolutely you know so, 
Yeah. So with your executive director hat on, how, what was your approach? Like, take me back eight or nine weeks when, when you first heard the news, like this is going to be a worldwide pandemic, what were you thinking? And then how did you kind of uh, take me on a step-by-step case of how you personally approached it as a, as a executive director? Well, um, uh, first and foremost was um, uh, as executive director, I have a, I have a senior team of directors. There's five directors um, that work with me. Um, we call ourselves the directors team. Um, we, we came together and um, those directors, of course, are, re- are, re- are responsible for uh, all the areas of the museum. Um, and uh, so we came together, did the best we could to share information of what we were learning because in the very early days, um, you know, we weren't certain we had a good sense that we were going to have to shut down, but it was the question of when to shut down and, um, and shutting down is a whole lot easier than, than, uh, than reopening, let me tell you. Um, and, uh, so I think it was really about sharing information um, and just trying to uh, navigate, um, you know, the challenges together. Uh, um, reaching out to my board, asking for their um, uh, advice. And uh, at the point, uh, what I realized is that I wasn't going to, there was no way we were going to um, have the ability, uh, we needed to be uh, agile. Um, so I needed to ask the board immediately to provide me with certain powers. Um, and one of the powers I've never had, nor if I, I don't think any CEO of the Manitoba Museum has ever had to ask their board for, but I needed them to provide me with the ability to shut down when I felt that it was appropriate to shut down. Um, so uh, they did. Um, they did so uh, fairly quickly and literally uh, within a day or two of them providing me with that authority, um, I did um, make the decision to shut it down. Um, but through this process, it has been um, the direction, uh, first and foremost. Um, we have, uh, we've done Zoom calls until 11 o'clock at night. Um, this team is working full-time jobs plus. Uh, I am so incredibly grateful. Um, that said, there is an army of colleagues um, that are feeding information to them and, and helping us uh, along the way. Uh, we certainly don't have all the answers, um, but we have a really fabulous Manitoba Museum team. And uh, together, we're, we're putting all those little bits of intel that we've got and suggestions and advice. And um, at the end of the day, the decisions get made at the director level, but, um, yeah. um, but engaging employees. Um, and uh, obviously, it was about uh, getting the place closed, and most importantly, um, it was about keeping our staff and volunteers safe and, um, and doing everything we could to mobilize their ability to uh, work from home. Um, and, you know, we'd always had people on occasion working from home, but, um, you know, we realized, you know, not everyone has a computer at home, not everyone has Wi-Fi. Uh, like, you know, it, <laughs> we had, you know, we had quite a few um you know obstacles to work through um and there are some people whose jobs really is uh, reliant on being here so seeing how we might be able to enable that uh, in a controlled way um so that they were still able to be productive um and and, and still following uh, government guidelines we also are in the midst of a major capital renewal um we're updating the Manitoba museum gallery so two of our galleries are currently closed and under construction. And so we have, you know, um, Boxstall Constructions, our project manager, but we have them and all kinds of subtrades and, and a lot of our staff are involved in that project. So, so was that all paused or are people still oh in no. there? Oh, oh no, it's still oh no, oh yeah, wow. because it was an exception to the guidelines that construction could continue. And quite frankly, if you had to say there were 
there was any opportunity through the closure it's that we've been able to really uh, focus on advancing um, the gallery renewal. Uh, for those who are um, familiar with the Manitoba Museum, we have nine galleries, um, but it's a linear path. So when you when you pull two out of the equation and you're redirecting and you've got construction noise and all that kind of stuff. So we were able to basically churn the galleries over to all the noisy, dusty construction, um, you know, uh, for the period of our closure. And so the reopening and being able to peel that all back and getting clean and, and having paths through the construction areas and all those kinds of stuff for reopening has been has been complex. So it's going to be better than ever once the doors are opened officially again. With, well, is no, everything no, going to be done, or it's no, still? No, oh, no, okay. no. <laughs> no, it was about keeping the project on track so that we will still be able to meet our um, initial um, uh, deadline um, for being completed by um, uh, end of November, early okay. December. Yeah. Well, so no, we wanted to make sure that we did not miss. Uh, we didn't want to. Well, first of all, as soon as you pause, all your costs then go up, right? So we wanted to be able to keep the project on track, but a lot of the work, especially our curatorial staff, uh, we're doing, um, you know, in terms of, you know, label copy and, you know, fi final, um, you know, uh, artifact selection, those kinds of things. You know, they were fully able to do that. They were already working through a uh, through a team's model. They were they were able uh, uh, able to continue to do that remotely. Cool. So, yeah. Awesome. It, we we have not the Manitoba Museum has not paused. We've kept our capital project going, and um, and many will have seen our Manitoba Museum at home. But we've uh, um, we've basically pivoted. You know, we we deliver education programs to eighty five thousand students, and uh, we pivoted uh, delivery of that um, to online, uh, which we've never done before. So how's that been going? Uh, well, you know, it probably it's a question better asked of my program staff. Um, uh, because that team has been just absolute stars of um, going into the the great unknown of how to deliver live interactive programs. We've not done it um, in the past, so it has been an opportunity for us to pilot and to, I guess, in in, in essence, be starting to prepare for the fact that we may not be having school field trips in the fall. Um, normally, yes. this place, you know, I'm sitting on the third floor, and you'd be hearing the sound of the students on the first floor because it really is just a field trip so it's it's like eerily quiet right now um during the week without the field trip so um but they're pumping that content out to teachers and students um online it's going to be a new world right like it, it we're going to have to adjust and i don't think that's that's the weirdest part about this for me is that we don't know what the new normal is going to be obviously it's going to be different but like how do you think how are you preparing your team to like okay there's going to be a new world so like are you already anticipating how things are going to be with this online stuff or yeah, like oh what? yeah absolutely yeah. and you know we're, we're you know um you know speaking with our colleagues nationally trying to get a sense of what other people are doing uh what expertise there might be out there um you know museums nationally are, are very generous um um you know we're not competing we're not competing with uh you know science north and Sudbury, um and they have been um very um assist uh, very much assistance to us because they are doing a lot of online learning so um you know these are the kinds of things that we're that we're doing um and you know just it but it's you know it's the great unknown you know like it's <laughs> um I, you know i have to say that i have been um, I'm so very proud of how my colleagues have um, pivoted and are doing their absolute best to work through this. 
um, uh, recognizing it's a challenge. Um, we don't know all the answers, but again, it's that one day at a time. Let's just work through it together uh, based on what information we have now. And when we get new information, we'll pivot again. How are, how are you feeling that we've been doing as a cult, as a society, just as a general Winnipegger? How, how do you feel that we've been handling the pandemic? I, all I've been seeing is really, is uh, really great behavior. Obviously the numbers speak for themselves. Um, but but uh, the thing that concerns me personally is I've always thought of us as an island because, you know, we just have no other large population base anywhere near us. Um, which, you know, when I'm booking an international traveling exhibit and trying to look at what the break even is for the number of people I have to pump through for an exhibit that costs half a million dollars um, and what the price that a Manitoban is prepared to pay and all that kind of stuff. I'll tell you, it constantly comes back to me. We're an island. We're an island because, you know, I'm talking about drawing, you know, from Calgary, what, from Minneapolis? Like we're talking about drawing from population bases that are over seven hours away. Um, which people don't tend to do, uh, just get in the car to come to an exhibit um, that's seven hours away. So um, I think that that has helped our province an awful lot. That's my personal opinion. Um, but in uh, saying that, because our numbers are so low, I'm personally worried that the worst is yet to come. Me too. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on the situation, but I just feel I. like, yeah, I, it just seems like Winnipeg, we always get things a little bit later than everyone, you know, like, yeah. you know, if there's a protest a week ago, like, there, obviously, there's a protest happening mm -hmm. tomorrow. So I don't know, I just I feel like we're, we've yet to see the worst of it, especially because my friends out west are saying like, yeah, this is, you know, they got hit really bad. And it's just been kind of crazy to see the, the discrepancy between Manitoba and say BC or Alberta or Ontario or, and it's mm -hmm. not that far away. So I, I'm still a little worried, but I mean. Well, and I, and, I, and I guess we're still uncertain if, you know, if you do get it and you know, for some people it'll, there'll be no symptoms and others it could be life threatening, but there's still no uh, clear data on whether if you get it, whether, you, where you, whether you're susceptible to getting it again. Yeah. So few of us have had it. So does that mean that we're all just in the firing line still, you know, and we just, because yeah. we're this island and we've all been so good about the shutdown and the social distancing and everything um, that, you know, is it just potentially inevitable? I mean, you know, we always have a flu season in the fall. Everybody does. Yeah. Well, What's we'll see. Like? Yeah. As long as everyone just kind of maintains this level of care and we, we can continue to social distance, I think we'll be okay. But who knows? Yeah, I, I hope so. If you had to, I mean, obviously you're going to be probably um, transitioning with the next, with, with the next CEO and, and uh, executive director. But if you were speaking right now, if you had any advice for the person who's going to, that has huge shoes to fill, what would you say just as a sort of general bit of knowledge that you could pass down for the next, the next person who's going to be uh, stepping into your role? Hmm. I don't know that I would necessarily offer advice um, in so much as I think that they need to come with their toolbox and their experience and their passions um, and they need to find their own path. So, um, um, you know, there is a search committee of our board. They're in the process of doing a national search. Um, and as I've reminded my board, you're not looking for my replacement. You're looking for a new executive director that's gonna lead this organization into a new future. And boy, is it ever gonna be a new future now. Um, and um, so 
I would say, I would assume that they've, uh, they've, you know, that they've got their own support systems and those kinds of things. So I would basically say, congratulations, you've got a, you've got one hell of a team, trust them, they're fabulous. Um, and uh, if you got a question, um, you know, here, here's where I am, but I'm going to stay out of your way and uh, best wishes. Well, that's take very care, take care of my baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's very humble for sure. And I think what makes a good leader is just someone who surrounds themselves with good people, you know, like other good leaders, right? And and that's kind of all you can really ask of someone is to just surround yourself with good people, and you'll probably do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, listen, listen. Yeah. <laughs> also important for sure. So yeah. at the at the end of our time together talking about COVID and your retirement in the museum, I asked the same questions of all my guests. Are you okay to do that for me? Sure. Okay, great. So question one, what is the first cause you ever remember caring about? Oh, okay. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I was always caring about um, other people. It was the the, the student that uh, that came from away um, that was not Canadian, I wanted to be that person that reached out to them um, and to and to make sure that they felt welcome and not and that they were feeling included. Um, so for me, it was about inclusion, um, and yeah, for me, it was about inclusion. It seems like we're now as a society starting to value that a little bit more. Are you are you um, happy with the way society is moving in that direction? I mean, obviously, there's a long way to go, but yeah. I mean, my my I mean, my whole life has been about about trying to support and promote inclusion. Um, um, you know, I here at the Manitoba Museum, obviously, celebrating being a Manitoban and all that that means, and um, and you know, so many people from away, but uh, most especially um, uh, those who have come before us, our Indigenous peoples, and you know, and, and you know, from the time that I was my first job, I was nine. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow. I served coffee at the Winnipeg, it was called the Winnipeg Native Club on River Avenue. Okay. Um, my very good friend, Lori, uh, her dad was the manager and uh, we used to push the little carts, you know, um, and sell bingo cards and serve coffee and tea and stuff to people playing bingo there. Uh, but I have to say that right from that point, um, it was an immersion for me um, into Indigenous culture. I was I was, um, I, reflecting now, I, I would say honored, but I was just felt as a kid, so incredibly welcomed into her large family and um, attending powwows and all kinds of things that I never ever would have thought of. And I just found it so incredibly interesting um, that I basically, I found myself, and now if I reflect back, I see that indigenous um, influence and how it has enriched my life all of that contact from the serving coffee at nine um, to being at the children's festival and looking for different things um, to uh, bring education and promotion and celebration and, and respect to the children's festival. Um, that's where I met Phil Fontaine and when I left the children's festival I went to the TV television and um, Phil Fontaine called me and um, it was I who he broke the story about as it related to his residential school experience. Um, but I, you know, here I thought I, you know, I was in, you know, um, in, you know, had this enriching experience. And did, I didn't know about it residential schools, and then I started learning about it residential schools. And, you know, so, you know, working at Folklorama, working with all those multicultural, you know, pavilions and Indigenous peoples again, um, and then here at the museum. So, uh, I would say, uh, 
you know, all the way along this, it, I have been in, um, you know, indigenous learning, um, in immersion and appreciation. Beautiful. But, but also our multicultural society. For sure. Like, That's wow, what, what a great place yeah. we live in. You That's know? what it's all about is just experiencing other cultures and experiencing other experiences. That's what the key to inclusion is because as soon as you realize oh we're all exactly the same we all just have you know maybe our food's different maybe our songs are different maybe our dancing is different but people are people across the board but i've got but people are people but there is so much to learn mm -hmm. if you recognize that someone has come from away or someone has a different background and you know um you know i've had such great experiences you know attending passover dinners to you know like it, it's just opening yourself up to learn from others through the celebration of inclusion, you know? Um, and Manitoba is just so perfectly poised. I mean, we have such a fabulous, fabulous um, community here, you know? Agreed, very well said. Uh, so next question, if money, politics, and logistics were no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen, what would you do in support of arts and culture or the museum or however you want to answer that? Well, I, I <laughs> snap my finger and um, have a our endowment, our agency fund endowment of Winnipeg Foundation grow from 1.8 million to 18 million, that so nice? that there is the interest income to assist the museum on its path of sustainability and you know supporting the important work that we do in research and collections and and exhibition developments and programs and those kinds of things. Yeah, so many people now A huge are, endowment. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's thinking long-term, right? And, and yeah. not a lot of people think long-term, they just kind of think, okay, there's money, let's spend it. But if you're oh, investing no. it in, in the future, it's a very valuable thing to do. Yeah, perfectly said, it's about investing in the future. Next question, what is the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about your cause? Well, my, my, my big cause being the Manitoba Museum right now, I've got many causes, but the one that's of my absolute focus, uh, I would say a lot of people think that because we're, we tell the story of Manitoba, they think of us as the, and we, and we do, we refer to ourselves as a provincial museum because we tell the story of Manitoba, they think that we're a government department. Um, the other is that people think that what they see uh, in the public spaces is who we are. And that's part of it. But I've often made the analogy of, what the public sees, um, you know, in the public spaces, in, in museum galleries, a science gallery, planetarium, is but the tip of the iceberg. And we all know that the bigger piece is below the waterline. There would be no public spaces. I'll use the museum galleries as an example. There would be no Manitoba Museum galleries if there wasn't all the, the primary and community research, the collecting, you know, conservation and care and all that kind of stuff. Like that, you know, what feeds what people see is way bigger than um, than what you're experiencing when you're coming here. And understanding that and what goes on behind the scenes. Wow. When I came to work here, you, know, you think you know, and I can tell you how many how many conversations I've had with board members who say, I had no idea, you know, um, you know, and that's, that's a, a pretty cool thing about working here, but it is also the one thing that people don't understand. For sure. Have you made a point of trying to open that box up a little bit to people and, and show the behind the scenes a little bit yeah. more? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've done, uh, you know, behind the scenes tours and 
um, you know, to, uh, doing lots of blogs about what, you know, about what the out of the vaults and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, no doubt we can always do more. People like that stuff, eh? Seeing, you know, seeing behind the curtain there of what the, what the magic is. It's pretty cool to That's see. Great. I will, especially for kids who, you know, one of my earliest memories is coming to Winnipeg, going on the nonsuch and go and seeing the planetarium and like, I still have that seared into my brain today, like you know, almost 25 mm -hmm. years later or whatever. So it's, it's pretty cool that you can, you can give those experiences to, to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of kids. If, if only they knew what it takes to conserve the non-such, um, how uh, one of our conservator is, conservators actually goes up in a sling hanging from the ceiling because <laughs> he's got to clean, he's got to clean those sails, he's got to clean all the, you know, like to conserve that ship in order to make it available for people to board. They have no idea what so goes cool. on behind the scenes. And we do try to, you know, get information out about that, but yeah, awesome. it's a lot of work. Love it. Well, for sure. Uh, next question. <laughs> <laughs> what is a time in your life where you had to pivot because a plan, plan A just wasn't working out. So you had to go to plan B. Well, gee, <laughs> how about today? How about, yeah, how about eight weeks ago? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, I, I think probably uh, foremost certainly in my mind right now when answering questions like that would just be leading an organization in the pandemic. I mean, it's, it's not just us. I, I realize that um, individuals and businesses and organizations, we're all going through it together and it, um, and each of us have a have a unique experience and potentially approach to how to get through it. But uh, wow, uh, it's probably one of the biggest pivots I, I've had to do. And unfortunately, it's not in a day. It's over a long period of time with still this dark unknown in the future. So no kidding. Has there ever been anything like this in your career before? Or is this once in a lifetime? Uh, I mean, this big? No. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, I've certainly, yeah, I mean, I've certainly had huge challenges, but no, not this big. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah. the answer. And most pretty steep learning curve here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> We're all just winging it pretty much. <laughs> you know, thank goodness I've got fabulous mentors and, and uh, you know, the board and staff, everyone's being incredibly supportive and we'll just uh, do the best we can to get through it together. I certainly don't feel that I'm alone. That's good. Yeah. Well, you know, on this, on the topic of mentors, the next question is what's the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, well, I've got, you know, I have so many mentors and, you know, through my career and still uh, in my career, you, you know, to me, um, you never stop learning and there's, and there's never a time in your career, quite frankly, or life where you don't need your mentors. So um, I would say, um, uh, one that I've sort of adapted over the years, but uh, it's, it's more of a Manitoba one, which is, you know, don't burn bridges in River City. Um, you know, we are a really small community and you want to always ensure that you um, take the high road, act professionally with the highest ethics, um, because, you know, it's a small town. And um, so you just, you just want to um, do the absolute best you can and don't burn bridges in River City. You know, I live three kilometers from work, but I got to get over two bridges to get home. I work long hours, but I do like to get home at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, don't burn, burn bridges, bridges in River City. I always take River the high City. road. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, last question, Claudette, thank you for doing this. Uh, it was great to talk to you on, in, you know, in a different context other than, you know, sitting at a dinner or a luncheon or wherever we've, uh, we've crossed paths before. So thank you. Uh, last question, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, oh, doing, doing what I could to contribute to my community to make it a better place.
that'd be good if anyone aspired yeah, to all, that. That's thing. all I want to do, you know, yeah, do my part. I just want to do my part. Is there anything on, yeah. I'm going to add one more question. I know I said last question, but is there anything still on, still on your um, to-do list in the last year of, of sort of winding down? Um, I mean, I mean, continue to, to lead here, but I think for me, it's about, no, it's about uh, beyond. And I, I want to, even though I will not be leading a, a nonprofit uh, cultural organization after 38 years of doing so, um, I fully intend to continue contributing to my community. So uh, I will be looking for uh, future volunteer opportunities. Well, the world's a better place with you in it. Thank you for this conversation. Claudette LeClaire, Executive Director and CEO of the Manitoba Museum. Where can people find out more information about um, the opening dates? I know you said uh, in, okay. yeah. in so the weekends or, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mantelmuseum.ca. Um, we're doing a soft opening this weekend uh, for our members, but we will be opening for the public on weekends in June, starting June 13 and 14. And boy, we sure are looking forward to welcoming you back safely um, and uh, to enjoy a nice walk through their provincial Beautiful. Thanks, Claudette. Have a great day and stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks again to Claudette LeClaire, Executive Director and CEO of the Manitoba Museum. Good luck throughout this next year before you finally get to retire. Uh, they're really making you work for it, for sure. And again, congratulations. It's a, it's a huge, well-deserved honor to finally be re retiring after so much great work, after so many, you know, multiple decades of, of amazing service. Uh, all episodes of the Because and Effect podcast. This one and all previous ones are available at becauseandeffect.org. If you want to listen to any previous episode, they're all up there, or just search Because and Effect anywhere you get your podcasts. Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere. We are there. All music on the show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can find more of his music at trentonburton.com. Because and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. You can follow us at WPGFDN on all social media accounts or just search the Winnipeg Foundation. And you can read more about what the foundation is doing in a post-COVID-19 era at WPGFDN.org. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And remember, the best profit of the future is the past. Bye-bye.